God, we come before you this morning mindful that you have called us to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. As we pause now to give you great thanks and praise as we celebrate the upcoming marriage of Mike and Angie, we want to pray your blessing on their marriage and their life together give you thanks for the ways that you have been at work in and through their lives, the way that you have brought their lives together at this moment. Pray your blessing on their union. Pray your blessing on their, their lives ahead. May they be rich and beautiful. May they be present to one another and to others. May their, bless, may their marriage be a blessing to each other and to those around them. <coughs> Gracious God, we also come with heavy hearts, having lost our dear Wayne. We give you thanks for receiving him into your eternal rest. We pray particularly for Angie and the rest of the family who are both at peace, knowing that Wayne is at peace and rest, but also mourning and grieving deeply, as are we. So we pray your blessing on them and on us as we give you thanks for this dear man and all he has meant to us and to so many. Be in our midst this day as we both celebrate and grieve together. We pray this through the one who found himself at wedding celebrations and weeping over the loss of a dear friend, Jesus Christ. Judy and 
Jason teaching in my absence. I told you before, I always feel like I have to explain where I've been. <laughs> it's like coming home later than you were supposed to and trying to explain to your parents. <laughs> where have you been? So, some of you, if you've been in the class long enough, know that I disappear for a couple weeks in February. Um, I almost always go to a, a board meeting. I'm part of a ecumenical group called the uh, Ecclesia Project that works for church renewal, and I'm on the board of that organization. And so I was at the winter board meeting in Dayton two weekends ago. And some of you will also know that I also take uh, a group of students from my spirituality and everyday life class in the spring for a three-day retreat at St. Minerid Arch Abbey and Monastery in southern Indiana. For, and so that was last weekend. And that's always one of the highlights of my year, actually, is introducing students. Uh, we pray with the monks five times a day. And uh, it's a powerful uh, few days together. So, so thank you to, to Judy and Jason for uh, teaching in my absence. But it's deeply good to be back with you. I thought what we would do for the... For those of you who haven't been here, uh, we did finally finish the Apostles' Creed. I should let you know that, so if you were wondering, uh, we did. Um, I went back and checked, and um, we actually, we took eight, it's 18 different lessons. I sort of cringe in saying that. Um, so, yeah, we took our time on the Apostles' Creed, so I'm hoping uh, next time we say it together, um, it might mean something a little more deeply. But I thought in the remainder of the time in Lent that we have, um, we would take a look at some of the, the Psalms. Um, there's a tradition that goes back about 1400 years in the church of us. Seven Psalms particularly are called the penitential Psalms. Uh, psalms that are particularly appropriate for um, offering ourselves before God humbly. Um, in our, our distress, they're, they're, all, they're all laments, um, which is a form of psalm that we desperately need to recover in the life of the church. Um, it's interesting that when we normally think of the psalms, at least a lot of us, if all you knew of the psalms were the ones that you'd heard routinely in worship, um, you might think that most of them are praises and thanksgivings, but um, actually on balance, uh, the majority of them are laments. There are more laments than anything else in the book of Psalms. Um, but there's, there's this beautiful uh, paradox in that the, the Hebrew name for the book of Psalms um, is the Hebrew word for praises. And the lament psalms themselves, as we'll see even today and in the coming weeks, um, almost every time, even though they begin with this deep crying out to God, find themselves moving towards 
praise by the end. And the, the sort of brutal honesty and rawness of the Psalms is in some ways shocking to many of us. It, it makes us uncomfortable. Uh, the psalmist, in this, again, kind of paradoxical way, has such a deep and abiding trust in the relationship with God that the psalmist can come before God with all the rawness of what they're feeling. Doesn't feel any need to sort of censor the words. Doesn't feel like they have to sort of um, take all of the things that they're feeling and sort of put it in speech that might be more polite and appropriate in addressing God. It's really raw. Now, the one this morning is not as raw as some of the ones that we'll look at in the next couple of weeks. Um, but even today, there's a kind of boldness that, that might surprise us. And what's beautiful about the book of Psalms is, um, you know, if we talk about the scripture as, as revelation, and it, and it certainly is revelation, and it does reveal... Um, who God is to us, but it also re deeply reveals who we are. And you particularly see it in this, because here in the canon of Scripture, we have authorized speech to God. Right? you think about that. And so the Psalms give us permission, that the Psalms give us permission to come before God in all our confusion, uh, in all our grief, in all our mourning, in all our pain, uh, in all of, and you fill in the blank, whatever it is that you're feeling, um, the Psalms give us permission to bring all of that before God in all its rawness, in all its uh, complications, um, in all, even the stuff that we don't even know how to bring to speech. The Psalms give us permission to do that. So today we're going to look at one of those seven penitential psalms. And I've chosen it for a couple of reasons. I chose it one because it's short, and I was told today we're having a celebration, <laughs> both at the beginning of our time together and at the end. So we want to, I want to try my best to keep this brief so that you have some more time to celebrate at the end. It's also one of the more general um, psalms of penance. And it's also one of the most well-known ones. Um, it's going to be Psalm 130, if you want to turn there, 130. As you know, there are 150 psalms. Um, this psalm is not only part of the collection of the penitential psalms, it's also part of another collection of psalms. You might notice at the beginning of one, Psalm 130, your, your scripture might say a song or a psalm of ascents, ascent or ascents in plural, right? As, as in ascending, right? Um, scholars don't know exactly what that meant. They think 
there's a good chance that these might have been used by pilgrims on their journey to Jerusalem for a festival. This collection of psalms, and this is one of them. Um, begins at uh, Psalm 120, and so this is the, the, uh, the 11th psalm in that cycle. Some of you may know this, and this is God's providence. This is, I didn't choose this. Um, it sort of struck me yesterday as I was finishing up my preparation and I got the word that Wayne had died at four o'clock. Um, most of you, if you know Psalm 130, you know because it has a very long tradition in the West of being used in the Requiem Mass, in the Mass for the Dead. Uh, it's a psalm that's been set to music uh, by a, pretty much every famous composer. Um, uh, Bach, Mendelssohn, Handel, uh, they, they all have settings of this, that's called the, the De Profunde, Profundi, which is the first phrase in Latin, uh, which means out of the depths, or from the depths. And this is a psalm that was typically sung uh, in the Mass uh, for someone recently who has died. And so that's, that's the psalm we're looking at today, briefly. Um, as a way of thinking about it in terms of Lent, but also as, uh, as a vehicle for whatever, whatever it is that you're bringing today. So I want to read the whole thing. It's brief. It's just eight verses, and then we'll make just a few comments on it. Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O oh Lord, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, O oh Lord, should mark iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, so that you may be revered. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is great power to redeem. It is he who will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. Out of the depths, I cry to you. This is the only place where in all of the Old Testament, actually, the, the language of the depths uh, just stands alone as a kind of abstract noun. All the other times, this, this Hebrew word is used to talk about deep water, this notion of the chaotic water uh, that it talks about, it's, and it's, it's what Jonah felt uh, in the belly of the whale, that, that he was drowning. And I'm sure all of you 
more than once in your life, I felt like you were drowning. Drowning in pain, uh, drowning in sorrow, <coughs> drowning in suffering, drowning in grief, uh, in loss, in mourning. Um, you, you have all been there, drowning. And part of the power of this psalm is just the way that it invites us to remember those times when you have been drowning, when you have felt hopeless, and you, you reached out to God, reached out to God, cried out to God to hear your voice, to hear you in the depths of your own suffering and grief. It's one of the things that the, the psalmist doesn't apologize, one of the things that, again, doesn't seem particularly polite. The psalmist isn't afraid to sort of focus uh, on himself, to say, I'm crying out to you. It's, it's me. Right? Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. And again, there's a kind of boldness here. Uh, these, these are imperatives, like, hear me. Like, it's, it's telling God what to do. Hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive. You be attentive, God, to the voice of my cries, my supplications. So to have that kind of, of boldness is a, is a little bit shocking to us, right? To, to show up and say, look, God, hear me. I need you to hear me. Without apology, in all that rawness. And yet, the psalmist follows that with this, this recognition of the grace of God that makes that possible. The psalmist doesn't come to God with that boldness because the psalmist believes that somehow God owes that to him. The psalmist comes because he realizes this God is a God of mercy and grace. So after crying out in all that rawness from the depths of his despair, the psalmist says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? Right. I mean, who, who would dare to come before God with that much boldness if what you had in your mind when you came before God was the, was the God that a lot of us think of sometimes when we think of God, is that's the divine, uh, the divine accountant who has the tally sheet and is just looking down on us, marking our sins. The psalmist says, if that were, you, if that were who you are, 
Who could stand? Who could come into your presence if that's who you were? It's one of those rhetorical questions that doesn't need an answer, right? The answer is no one. No one could stand if that's who God was. And so he goes on to say, but there is forgiveness with you so that you may be revered. This is the, the basis of the psalmist's reverence to God. The awesome, astonishing power and willingness of God to forgive and thereby invite us into God's presence to cry out with boldness, hear my cry from the depths. And then the psalmist goes on to say that he, he waits, he, he hopes, he watches for God's deliverance. One, one of the extraordinary things we'll see about the laments is the laments, when it makes this shift from lament and crying out to a sense of moving towards praise, it's never because their circumstances have changed. Which is pretty extraordinary when you think about it. Because we can imagine crying out and then being assured that God would fix things and then you move to praise. That never happens in the Psalms. It cries out for God to hear, to draw near, and often to do something. But the resolution at the end of the Psalm does not come because God has done something. It comes because of the Psalmist's deep and abiding assurance that God can be trusted. And so the psalmist says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. And in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning, more than those who watch for the morning. And the metaphor there, the image that the psalmist is probably conjuring, as you probably know, is, is, is likely the, the watchman on the city gates who's up all night protecting the city, looking for potential enemies who might be attacking, and is longing for the relief uh, of the morning. That when morning light comes, there's a sense of, of deliverance. And so he's waiting for that. And here, waiting, to be clear, is not the kind of waiting, not the kind of irritating waiting that just says, I just have to be patient, I just have to endure something. Not that kind of waiting, not waiting at the stoplight, waiting in the grocery store kind of waiting. Right? 
this, this is a kind of hopeful waiting. Right? The psalmist is hoping, is waiting for God's deliverance, knowing that God will bring deliverance. And then the psalm takes one final turn in the last two verses. And here the psalmist turns to address the gathered community. These psalms were likely used in gathered worship. This is the psalms are the sort of hymn book of ancient Israel and of the church. And so there's this call for, for the rest of Israel the rest of Israel to trust and hope in the Lord, given God's steadfast character. And so the psalmist writes, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is great power to redeem. It is he who will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. That's that, that great Hebrew notion of covenantal love. Right? That God, that God had bound God's very self to the people of Israel and said, I will be your God and you will be my people. It's because of God's covenant promise to bind God's very self to, to them. But this God would not be a God who would be known apart from this people. Because of that promise, this covenantal steadfast love that Israel could say, hope in this God, hope in this Lord, hope in Yahweh, the God of Abraham and Sarah and Jacob. Right? This, this is the God who redeems, who saves us from all our iniquities. So as we enter further into Lent and are reminded as we move towards Easter, of all that God has done to redeem us to God's very self, to bring us back into the family of God. Let us be reminded that what God is doing in Jesus Christ is, is not, um, it's not uncharacteristic of this God. It's not as though in Jesus Christ God began doing something completely new. God reveals most fully the love that God had always had. Just revealed it more fully in Jesus Christ. But even the Hebrews, even the Hebrew people long ago knew this steadfast love of God. And that this God redeems us from our sins. This is a God of forgiveness. The Hebrew people knew that well and knew that in their darkest hours they could cry out to this God because this God had made covenant 
with them. And so on this day when we find ourselves crying out to God, we know that this God hears, this God answers. This God, no matter how deep the depths, this God has not and will not abandon us. Let's pray. Gracious God, we give you great thanks that you are a God who's given us permission to cry out from the very depths of our grief, of our loss, of our suffering, of our pain. That you want us to cry out, that you want to hear our cries, and that you are receptive to all that we're feeling. Gracious God, I pray you would hear the moans and cries of our hearts this day and pray that we would feel assured by your steadfast love and that we would place our hope and trust in you because of who you are. We pray this through the one who revealed most fully your steadfast love, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.